Hey there, welcome to the Theology Of podcast. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Riker. And we're two college students who love studying scripture and having meaningful biblical conversations. When we think about theology, most of our thoughts probably stay within the four walls of the church. But in doing so, we're really limiting our understanding of God's infinite nature. And so each episode, we'll be tackling an everyday, secular-seeming topic and discussing what the faith has to say about it, both conceptually and practically. So thanks so much for joining us. Make sure to buckle up, keep your hands and feet inside the proverbial vehicle at all times, and enjoy the ride. Let's go. Good morning or evening or afternoon, whatever time it is, we are so glad that you're here with us today. This week, we're going to be talking about the theology of music, which I'm excited about. And I know Benjamin is definitely excited about because this is right in his wheelhouse. Yeah, because what's your major, Benjamin? I'm studying music education. So this is right up my alley. Yeah, that's perfect. So really excited about that. Before we dive into the episode, just wanted to give you guys another thought, kind of zooming out just at this project as a whole and what our purpose behind it has been, what the goal behind looking at these bits of practical theology is. And I think something that I've been learning during this process is that when we saturate ourselves in the themes of scripture by meditating on it day and night, like scripture says, and to constantly let these stories come into us and shape the way that we see the world, it's going to start spilling over into our everyday life. Mm -hmm. And so in the same way, as we have these conversations and as we let scripture filter through our minds, it's really cool to see and think about how this is shaping our very selves. Totally. Yeah, just just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, it's the food that you eat, right? The food that mm-hmm. you eat, it's what is going to power you through your day and you're going to be attributing everything to that food that you're intaking and, and living on. So yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, for sure. So to practice what we just preached, we are going to dive right on in to the theology of music with everybody's favorite question, <laughs> what is music yeah what is music that's uh i feel like another one of those no-brainer questions that we don't really have to ask for this episode um because you know (laughs) it's just you can define it in so many different ways and could be an emotional connection that you make with some piece of music or some collection of noises if you will and man, this gets into a way deeper of a rabbit trail for uh, music majors, especially because I've had so many conversations with professors and other students that are like, this is music. And I'm like, no, this is a collection of sounds and would not be considered music. Or yeah, I don't know. There's so many different branches of modern music nowadays that is considered music. And I don't know if necessarily I would consider it that, but that's a that's a conversation for a different time. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the quote unquote song four minutes and 33 seconds? Yeah. Good old John Cage. Yeah. I feel like that relates to the point that you were just making. And for those of you who haven't heard about it, basically 
it's this piece where the performance instructions literally just says do nothing for four minutes and 33 seconds. And so <laughs> yeah. all the orchestra is sitting there with their instruments, but they just sit there. Yep. So is yeah. that music? I don't, uh, I don't no. know. <laughs> I feel like that's, again, a conversation for another day. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, at least for our purposes here, um, it's important to look at some history um, and look at where music has come from and the road that we've traveled to get to where we are with, with popular music today. Just examining some of that, and I won't go nearly down all of the rabbit trails that I could go with my two semesters of music history. Um, but, uh, so I'll spare you, I'll spare you that. But we started with the difference between sacred music and secular music. Um, and that has been kind of this stark contrast for a very long time now. And in the early, early stages of organized music and written and recorded music, we reached a crossroads essentially, basically between sacred music that was used for sacred purposes. It was used in church services and mass and stuff like that. So Gregorian chant uh, is, was where a lot of this started, um, but eventually we got into more organized polyphony and got into more organum is the proper term for it. Uh, but we started with very monophonic chant back in back in the old days with just a single cantor as they would call it a person who would sing these lines and they would accompany a church service back in medieval times um, so that was to the extent of what sacred music was at the time uh, and then secular music was pretty much anything else uh, anything that was not sacred uh, and had any biblical basis to it and that leads us down another timeline, eventually incorporating instruments into the church. And instruments were not widely accepted for actually hundreds of years. So it was only vocals for a very, very long time. And then eventually we got multiple vocal parts that were moving independently. And at that time, instruments were considered secular. They were considered unholy and could not be in a church. Uh, eventually, obviously, that was broken and uh, we get into where we're having organized bands and orchestras to accompany our singers in the church. But then again, secular music is, is growing at an alarming rate um, outside of the church itself. So we've always had these two roads, the sacred music road and the secular music road. Um, and sometimes they overlap uh, with you know innovations in one or the other that were then brought into the church or started in the church and then were brought into the secular world um, and adapted and stuff like that. But we've always had these two roads. And so that's, I guess, the brief history of music that I'll provide for us today. Awesome. That was a good overview. And something that I think is really interesting as we think about this idea of music history is the fact that in our modern era, we're musically rich. And by that, I mean, up until pretty recent times, all music was live music. Oh, yeah. You just didn't have access to it unless you had others or yourself making music. And so that influences how we see music, because during all that time, music was part of this grander experience. Right. And I think that's important to pinpoint as we go further and continue to associate theology with music. Yeah. 
And just understanding now, like you said, how it was only live uh, up until pretty recently, but now that it has, and, and that doesn't say that music wasn't widely available until just recently because it was and performances were happening very, very often. And then we, we started with the multimedia distributions, uh, CDs, cassette tapes, uh, vinyl records, stuff like that. But now with, you know, the invention of, of Spotify and Apple music and YouTube and, and all the different places that you can put music on music is everywhere, right? It is absolutely everywhere. You cannot go a single day without running into music playing at a coffee shop. You know, your phone rings and it's your favorite song. You know, you're browsing through and an ad starts and there's music. Music is everywhere. And we often take it for granted that, you know, we have access to so much at our fingertips. Right. And not only is it everywhere, it also affects our experiences. Take, for example, movies. If you remove the soundtracks from movies, you'd have a vastly <laughs> different experience with it. Yeah. Um, because part of the emotional connection that we build with movies has to do with the music. Yeah. And so it's so ingrained in our psyche. Right. And sometimes we don't even realize it. Yeah. No, you're totally right. So now that we've laid that foundation... What does the Bible have to say about music? How does it refer to music and how does music fit into the overarching scriptural narrative? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, just beginning again, just a less than comprehensive biblical survey, if you will. We're starting with Job and uh, Job 38, 7, just to, to quote a few off the top of my head, where in the Bible music comes up. This is detailing the creation story, and this is God's response to Job, just for some context. But this is God's response to Job, and he says, On what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone, while the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy? So there's a pretty given uh, of the angels praising God uh, through singing and through music, talking about as God was creating the earth angels worshiping him which i think is such a cool picture yeah absolutely that reminds me of the part in the magician's nephew oh, where yeah. it's describing the creation of narnia yeah and how it uses that exact verse this idea of singing in the context of creation as aslan is making everything around them yeah so yeah it's a really beautiful image that we get yeah absolutely another one that i can think of as well um, is actually immediately following the exodus moses and his people bring up a song to the lord and this is in exodus 15 i will sing to the lord for he is highly exalted both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea verse two as well the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. So, again, this is just a natural way of praising God for his good works. First, we got the creation of the earth that the angels are praising God for. And now we have the redemption of Israel coming out of Egypt, and Egypt being 
overtaken by the Lord and protecting the country of Israel. From there, we can move on over to the Psalms, which is Israel's hymn book. It's all yeah. about song. Right. That's part of its genre itself. And we see this specifically in certain Psalms, the Psalms of praise, which are created for a choir or a band. And there's mm -hmm. instructions about how this is to be performed. Right. Um, and you have other Psalms that are for congregational worship. And so music is so important in understanding the entire book. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many Psalms of just praise, as we would call them, um, or the Psalms of Ascent, which were songs that uh, the Jewish people would sing on their way to Jerusalem. So yeah, songs are entirely one of the biggest foundational parts of the book of Psalms. And moving right along into the book of Zephaniah, actually, um, and this is a really cool image. I love this verse. Chapter 3, verse 17. This is actually a great picture of the Lord singing uh, over his remnant and promising the remnant uh, of restoration uh, and restorative justice to the nation of Israel. Um, and this is verse 17. It says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you, and in his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Which I think is just such, such a cool thought, just thinking about God singing over his people. Hmm. Absolutely. Then, transitioning on over to the New Testament, we come to Luke 2, um, specifically verses 10 through 14, and we see a really cool parallel passage to the Job passage, because in the Job passage, we have the description of creation and the hosts of heaven singing in that. And then when we come to this story, we have the hosts of heaven again singing because of the incarnation. So I think that's really mm. cool how Luke designed the story that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And continuing on in the Gospels, actually in Matthew's account in chapter 26, verse 30, this is coming immediately after the Lord's Supper uh, or the Last Supper. And uh, it's in here, and I don't know how I haven't seen this before, but chapter 26, verse 30 says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this is immediately after he eats with his disciples and is about to be betrayed into the hands of sinners and is about to be flogged and crucified. And they sing a hymn after the dinner, which I think is so cool. And I can't believe that I have missed that before in reading Matthew. So another example of a song there. Yeah, it's cool how it's this really climactic scene and right there's that hymn and i think it might just be in the gospel of matthew so that might be why yeah it's not i, th I think commonly so too. known but yeah that's awesome then moving on we have acts sixteen twenty five, where paul and silas are put in prison and what do they do they sing and then the angel comes and rescues them but it gives us a funny picture of them just 
singing their heads off and all the other <laughs> prisoners just yeah kind of wanting them to be quiet um, <laughs> or maybe maybe they loved it who knows but yeah exactly you never know yeah yeah that's cool uh moving right along into paul's letters to the ephesians in chapter five um this is a part of a section in my bible that is entitled christian living um or how to live like a christian and uh it's talking about in verse 18 through 20, it starts with, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's just your daily encouragement, if you will, to sing and make music to the Lord with your voices and with whatever you have in you. Paul is writing to you to uh, to make that a daily practice of yours. Yeah, and he uses the exact same language in Colossians 3, verses 16 through 17, talking about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And really, this is part of the reason why evangelical churches today have this precedent of singing together as part of congregational worship. Mm, yeah. Finally, we come to the book of Revelation, where in Revelation 15, the angels sing a new song because of all that the Lord has done in all the preceding chapters. And so we see that music is part of eternity. It's built into God's redemption Hmm. and creation's ultimate fulfillment. Yeah, that is such a cool picture. And now, to break the fourth wall a bit, enjoy this interlude music. So, jumping into more some practical things, uh, we've done a lot of history, done a lot of biblical survey. We see that music is everywhere in the Bible, and obviously our list of biblical references was not comprehensive, but it gave us a good picture um, seeing music in every sort of time period in the Bible, starting with creation, going in through the story of Israel, the exile of Israel, uh, but a promise, and uh, through the time of Jesus after the time of Jesus, and then eventually into the Revelation. So yeah, that's just a a good base ground for us. But getting more at a practical side of things and just asking the question, uh, why do we make music? What is the reason for it all? I think there's several different reasons that, you know, we can all have our own separate ways and, and thoughts behind why we make music. But I think largely uh, one of the m- biggest drawing factors uh, for why we make music and why we listen to music is it's an expression of ourselves. It's a way that we can put our thoughts and our words into a different medium. Uh, it's a form of expression. It's a form of art that we can take something that is non-physical uh, and thoughts and, and maybe some words in our brain and turn it into music with instruments and voices and 
groups of musicians collaborating together. Uh, so I think expression of self is, is one of the big umbrella reasons for, for why we make music. And if you ask any of the musicians on Spotify's top 50 today, um, I'm sure the way that they express themselves would be one of their top reasons for, for why they make music. Another reason that I think we make music is, is because some people see it as a spiritual experience in and of itself. You know, I am a saxophone player and jazz is a big part of my musical career. And so, you know, I've known several saxophonists and other jazz musicians that jazz is their religious experience. Uh, jazz is their religion, if you will. I don't know, um, but it's their way of expressing themselves through their trumpets or their saxophone or the piano or the bass or the drums or something. And gathering with other musicians and making music that is improvised and uh, being able to have all of that come together and make one cohesive song is a, a religious experience for them. And so there's actually a church of the great saxophonist John Coltrane. So if you want to look that up, kind of interesting. Don't know uh, much about it, but just thought I'd bring it up because, again, you know, yeah, it's kind of crazy. People think this music is is their own religion. Um, so kind of interesting. Riker, why do you why do you think we make music? I think one of the main reasons which you have touched on a little bit already is that music is collaborative and it unifies us. Yeah. And not only does that occur between performers and listeners, but also within a larger scope you have musicians collaborating together and right taking these building blocks and making something that's greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. So I think that's a big reason. But then I'd say the most important reason that we make music is to find that ever elusive secret chord, right? You mm. have this idea in music of, oh, I want to find, you know, this beautiful song that, we feel like is just out of reach. And if we could only hmm. do those chord progressions in the right order, uh, <laughs> it would unlock something. And I think sure. that matches this idea of longing for heaven um, that C.S. Lewis and others talk about, where beauty stirs within us this desire for something greater and hmm. shows us our craving for God. Yeah. No, that's a great point. And even if it's not like a specific set of chord changes, uh, it could be a set of lyrics that really describes the the human condition or is um, something that is really applicable to somebody's life. Um, and we want to find that set of lyrics, that set of chords, that melody that just works and uh, takes our music to a different level. So, yeah. So now that we've taken it into the spiritual realm, it begs another question. Why do we sing at church? Because I think a lot of people, especially if you grew up in the church, uh, you might have had this experience where you start to question, why is this part of our service? Is it hmm, yeah. really important or could we right. just save time by cutting it out? So yeah. 
what do you think, Benjamin? Why is singing such an important part of the church service? Yeah, um, I think a large part of it is from the tradition. And that goes back to the the history that I was just talking about uh, with Gregorian chant all the way up to nowadays uh, gospel music or contemporary Christian music that is steeped in the tradition of sacred music and having that sort of movement among the vocals and and uh, using voice to praise the God that you are worshiping. Um, that's that's steeped in a very, very ancient tradition. So I think that uh, also combined with the idea of liturgy, like we talked about a little bit earlier in a couple of episodes before this, um, but liturgy is also uh, a huge part of our Christian services. And so I think that those two coupled together, um, respecting the tradition, but also respecting the liturgies that have been happening for centuries is is a huge part of, of why we sing in church. Um, I think also just looking at all the biblical examples that we just pulled out, we know that singing is a response to God. Uh, singing is, is a way of praising him for his provision, um, is a way of lamenting to him in the midst of trouble and trial. So it's, again, another way of expression that you can't just get through words. Uh, and so we take those words and we put them into song and there we can express to God our feelings in deeper than words. Absolutely. That's part of it. I think another part of it is that singing is an expression of our identity as being created imago dei in the image of God. Sure. Um, yeah. Because our vocal cords are part of that creation that God gave us. And the voices that we have are able to praise God even more than birds singing or harpsichord mm. music or sure. any other noise that's out there. None of yeah. those can do the same as the human voice. And so, mm. yeah, I think it's just that realignment and that conduit with which we can show our adoration towards God and practice this part of us that he's designed. Yeah, that actually might be one of the reasons that instruments were not introduced in the church until so much later, right? Because uh, you have the argument for the human voice being the ultimate way to connect yourself to God uh, and to, to praise him and worship him fully. And if you put an instrument in front of your face, that's getting in the way of you using your voice towards God. Mm, yeah. Do you know what they said about like David's use of the harp or? Yeah, that's always interested me uh, because I did think about that and how David and, and instruments are mentioned in the Bible. David played the lyre or the, the harp. And uh, yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure on that. So I'll have to do a little bit more research there. But um, yeah, I think it it just brings up even more questions regarding why do we sing at church? You know, why do we worship collectively? Um, why do we, like you said, make that a part of our services? Um, and, you know, we talked about a few um, thoughts regarding liturgy and tradition, but I think also it's important to look at the things that 
worshiping together does for us as Christians and the things that it adds to our services. Um, and I think there's just this really unifying idea behind worshiping together. And we've talked a little bit about collective worship in our episode about celebration. But yeah, what do you think? Why else do we sing together at our services? Yeah, a couple more thoughts to answer that question. I think one of the really beautiful ways that worship music works within a congregational setting is that it serves to unify the body. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts this in a really beautiful way in his book, Life Together, when he's talking about the church. Here's what he says. Why do Christians sing when they are together? The reason is, quite simply, because in singing together, it is possible for them to speak and pray the same word at the same time. In other words, because here they can unite in the word. Hmm. And that really just helps us to understand the idea of the body of Christ even more and even deeper, seeing that we're all coming together with the same goal in mind. Hmm. And yeah, our message is the same and it's all pointed towards God. But at the same time, on the flip side of the coin, worship music is also very diversified and Hmm. is incorporated culturally. As you look at the church on a global scale, you have lots of different styles of music, which shows us the beautiful diversity of the church and how through all of these different expressions, God is being worshiped and gives us a really beautiful picture of what's to come Hmm. in the end. Yeah. So there's those two unified and diversified. I think music is also theologically based in church settings because we're not just humming, right? It's not just purely melody but as we sing in church there's words behind that and that's something that is really important for us to recognize and in my exploring music class um, last semester we talked about this important principle for worship leaders to consider by asking the question if somebody was to come to your church and not listen to a single sermon or a single prayer or anything else except for the worship music, Hmm. how good of a theology would they have at the end of their 20 years? Interesting. Which is really thought-provoking of this is a formative part of our understanding of God. And it is, yeah. That just increases its importance all the more. With that comes a lot of denominational and intergenerational baggage because there's a lot of questions about style and how Hmm. worship music should be portrayed. Should we just be singing hymns or should we just be doing CCM, Christian contemporary music? And I think a balanced approach to that is to recognize that our worship shouldn't just be monochrome, but it should incorporate a variety of styles, Hmm. you know, using songs that are rich and 
dense in their lyrics and also songs that are repetitive and help us to think and reflect on what's going on in our own lives versus in the song itself. So again, that's, that's another can of worms um, to get into, but true. There's the theological side of music. And then there's also an emotional side Hmm. by adding music there's this whole nother dimension that's added and it um, helps us to exercise the emotional side of our faith, which is obviously something that we have to be careful of. But at the same time, our emotions are part of ourselves. And so they also need to be part of the way that we worship God. Hmm. Yeah. So those are a couple thoughts that I had, but I think taking all of those together, we see that music is an important part of church and the way that we design our services. So next, I think it's important for us to talk about worship music uh, and popular music. And just like we were talking about earlier with sacred versus secular music, where those two have diverged uh, and gone their separate ways, but also how we might be able to overlap them both as well. Um, And that isn't to mean that every single song of ours is a sort of modern contemporary Christian song um, that has Christian lyrics and doesn't talk about anything regarding our current world uh, and the current state of our world. Um, But rather, it's talking about how we can take our current popular age songs and uh, glorify God through them. So um, I think that leads us to start out with the question, how has popular music fallen And I think this is kind of summed up uh, really well, actually, in a passage from Deuteronomy. Uh, And it's starting in chapter 12, verse 4. And it says, you must not worship the Lord your God in their way. And I think this is an interesting passage. And it's an interesting one to, to take maybe a little bit out of context here um, and see, oh, what do we do with what do we do with this with this verse? I think it gets at, at least for our modern day age of worship, it gets at the brokenness of this world and it gets at the things that we fall guilty to that are spinning around us every day, 24-7. And that can be the influences of the media, um, that can be influences of, of, you know, not so good circles of friends at school or at work or something like that. But I think this shows that we have fallen into the trap of worshiping our God in the world's way. And uh, we've fallen into, you know, different sins, whether that be big or small, but I think we can apply that to music too, uh, in that we are sometimes worshiping the God of the world in the world's way. What do you, what do you think about that? How has popular music fallen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think part of that is it's normalized some sins and made it 
not not only acceptable but trendy and we see in music hmm, yeah the increase in the objectification of women and vulgarity hmm. and malice and all of these things that go against christian standards and it's easy to tell ourselves that the message isn't going to affect us we just like the music itself um, right but by being constantly surrounded by it it starts to change things and starts to affect our perspective the lenses that we're seeing the world from yeah you're totally right yeah i think those are just some of the pitfalls um, that we've seen the popular music industry fall into and how you know we're not going to tell you to not listen to this kind of music and only listen to this kind of music but it's important like with everything to have that discretion and to be able to have that spirit of of recognizing where you are getting your influences from and the things that are around you and in front of your face uh, and and in your ears if you will most of the waking days of your life. So, um, yeah, I think that's just a, kind of a sad picture of, of how popular music has fallen. Um, but we can also talk about how we might be able to redeem music and how we might be able to incorporate some of these aspects of worship and, and praise that we've been talking about this episode into our popular music without making it have to be strictly <laughs> Christian contemporary music. Um, what do you think about those? Yeah, I think one way that we can glorify God, even through music that isn't explicitly worship music, is by focusing on the quality and the excellence of music. Because yeah, sometimes Christian music has a reputation of being cheesy and low quality and uncreative. <laughs> right. um, yeah which is the exact opposite of what it should be. Because again, mm -hmm. as we've talked about before, our faith should cause us to be at the top of the industry, not the bottom of it, because we yeah. have purpose for what we're doing. So I think that's mm -hmm. one of the big ways we can implement that. Yeah. What about you? Any others? Yeah, I think that's great. I actually, this one's kind of interesting to think about. Um, I think just even through the incorporation of liturgies into our music and, and the idea of seasons, but ultimately those seasons are pointing us back to the creator who made them is, is a good practice. And so that can be um, for the times in which you are sad and need lifting up uh, to seek out the music that, that might do that for you, um, but realizing that Christ is the ultimate center of that and he's the only one that can ultimately lift you up or it could be times that you are celebrating. It could be times that you are in transition and stuff like that. Uh, but having certain sets of music, I don't know, playlists, whatever it is, um, having sorts of liturgies that draw you back to the creator, I think would be a cool practical application. And I'm not 100% sure of what that looks like even in my own life. But I think that could be a cool practice uh, and and respecting the the times that God has set apart in our lives for certain liturgies and for certain seasons and rightfully shaping actions based off of that and in the ways that we listen to music. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. So synthesizing everything that we've talked about so far, 
how do we relate music and theology? Well, I think one way we can do it is to borrow a line from, believe it or not, a hymn. Um, the hymn, Come Thou Fount, you've probably heard it before, mm-hmm. um, but it gives us this prayer for us to pray, tune our hearts to sing your praise. Mm-hmm. And so that's really the purpose of redeemed uh, godly music is to help us to tune our hearts to realign our vision on God and give him the worship that he deserves. Yeah. This is the part of the episode where we normally talk about book and article and podcast recommendations, but Mm -hmm. in fitting with this week's theme, I thought it would be cool to, before we do that, share some of our music recommendations. Yeah. And so breaking it into a couple of categories. First off, worship music. What kind of worship music are you listening to right now? Mm, Yeah. Uh, Two of the things that I can think about right off the top of my head, and I wouldn't necessarily call them bands. I would call them probably more artist collectives, if you would. And I've talked about one of these before, but uh, the first is called Deeper Well, and it is an artist mentoring program and collective based out of a church in Oregon that is really focused on on just mentoring and working through uh, writing music with aspiring musicians um, and writing especially worship music. And so they have had some big names come from there. Josh Garrels uh, is, is a name that you might recognize and a few other big names have gone through Deeper Well. So if you want to check out Deeper Well, that is a super cool artist collective. Um, The second one is Enter the Worship Circle. And again, um, kind of like an artist collective where a bunch of artists get together and uh, write and make music to the Lord together. So definitely check out Deeper Well and Enter the Worship Circle. Uh, What about you? What are you listening to for worship music? Yeah. As far as artists go, one really solid worship band is Citizens. And yeah, they do some renditions of hymns. They do some of their own music, but really good quality stuff. And then as far as a specific song goes, one song that I don't think is as well known, but is a really beautiful one, is the song Make Room by Community Music. So if you want to, Hmm. check that one out as well. Moving right along to Christian music that isn't explicitly worship music a couple recommendations that i would give are half alive i don't even know how to describe their genre i love half Um, alive (laughs) yeah so good and such a wonderful example of what we talked about of how to make good quality music that incorporates these christian themes uh, in just a really beautiful way So there's that. Also, Chris Renzema is another fantastic Christian artist. 
Love um, him, yeah. And he just put out a new album not too long ago. So those are probably my top two. Yeah, I love both of those. Uh, for me, man, that's hard to choose from. Uh, I've recommended him before, but I'd say Zach Winters uh, is just a very tasteful, maybe more folksy uh, musician. And uh, I just really, really love his stuff. I was definitely going to say Chris Renzema as well, but uh, Josh Garrels as well came out of Deeper Well. Like I said, his music is super great. Another um, artist that is not super well known that I love his music a whole lot is actually John Mark Pantana. Um, And he recorded his first album just on his iPhone. And he doesn't do music full time. He just works works a main job and makes music on the side. And so he's got a really, really cool testimony that you can read on his website. But Definitely love his music, which is also a bit more folksy uh, or indie. So, yeah. And then lastly, how about just random artists that don't really necessarily fit into those categories, but that you really enjoy? Yeah. One I can start out with is a band called The Brook and the Bluff. They're a uh, Nashville-based band that makes some really, really tight grooves that I really, really love. Similarly, along that same line is another group called Busty and the Bass, which is really, really good. And even along that same line, Lawrence is another guilty pleasure of mine. And being a saxophonist, I love bands with with a horn section in them. So, um, And then finally, this one actually might tie more into the Christian side of things, but um, definitely I think falls more into the random side is the Arcadian Wild. If you haven't heard any of their stuff and you like folksy, uh, bluegrassy almost, uh, music is the Arcadian Wild, and they uh, have a really, really cool story. Um, again, Nashville-based, and uh, they're they're just a four-piece band that makes some really, really awesome music um, with some really, really cool storylines underneath them. So that's where um, I've dug into them a lot more and seen their Christian influences, and they're actually doing a project right now that is... Uh, telling the story of creation, but it's just, it's a really cool and really tasteful way of doing so. But yeah, what about you? There's this super indie artist that put out a song. I don't know if anyone would have heard about it, but Old Town Road. Um, if you haven't heard about that, <laughs> look that up. Um, no, only, only, only partially kidding about that. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> but on a more serious note, KB is also a Christian. He's a Christian rapper, but he just put out an album where he basically takes a bunch of classic Christian songs like Chris Tomlin and Hillsong, and he takes the familiar songs that we know and remixes it and uses it as part of the track. And it's just huh. so good. So that's kind of cool. even, even if you don't like rap music, that's one that you might enjoy. And also another lesser well-known but really good Christian rapper is an artist called Peabod, which I was actually showing to Benjamin earlier. Basically, he's a self-proclaimed, happy, gluten-free Christian rapper. So if (laughs) you can relate to some of those categories, then he might be for you. Peabod is for you. There you go. Nice. So yeah. There you go. There are some music recommendations for you all. And kind of just as a way for us to get to know each other better, 
you know, it's always great to learn what your friends are listening to and check out some of their music. So um, just another shameless plug. We will throw all of those artists and bands down in our show notes and uh, links to all of their music. So definitely go and check out our show notes. Uh, We try and make those as comprehensive as possible and give you as many resources and timeline tags for for the episode itself. Uh, We try and just really make that super comprehensive for you so you can have as much info as you need to dive into this topic more and more. So we'll have all of our print resources, books and journals and articles and stuff like that that we read, as well as all of those music resources down in the show notes. So thanks again so much for listening to this episode. We've really enjoyed having you here. Um, Just another plug for our email, thetheologyof at outlook.com. We'd love to hear from you. And we are actually taking suggestions for our finale episode for this season. We are going to do the theology of the etc., which is going to come up here in two episodes from now. So we're going to do a bunch of mini episodes in one, if you will. So we want suggestions from you, our followers and our listeners. Um, so feel free to go on to our Facebook at facebook.com slash the theology of or our Instagram, instagram.com slash the theology of or feel free to email us at the email that I mentioned earlier. Our music is created by our friends Luke and Tyler Hall. We're very thankful for them and uh, are very excited to promote their music also in the show notes. So definitely check that out. And other than that, we'll be diving into the theology of memory next week. So stay tuned for that. Throw us suggestions for the theology of the etc. And we will see you next week.